Who needs Christmas? That's a pretty interesting question, isn't it? And so as we've learned the first week, the world needed and still needs Christmas because the world needs to be reminded that God keeps his promises. The world needs to be reminded that God is active and he's not asleep at the wheel of your life or the wheel of our world. And God is faithful to finish what he starts, that his plans ultimately do and ultimately will prevail. The world needed and the world still needs Christmas because of that. And last week, in a bit of surprise, we learned that God needed Christmas, that God needed an opportunity to demonstrate and to document his love for humanity, that God sent his son Jesus to be the savior, sacrificed for a world that had turned its back on God to let us know that God had never turned his back on us. And today, let's start with one more answer to the question of who needs Christmas. Let's start today by actually looking at the beginning at the Christmas Sorry, pretty radical idea, right? In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and the following verse, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, that word Messiah, it's an interesting word. want to help us understand this. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word for the, for the English word that we have as Christ. And it went from the Messiah, Hebrew word, to Greek, Christos, which is the, the Greek word, where all of this means the anointed one or the chosen one of God. Christ or Messiah are, are not... Jesus's last name. I know that sounds silly, but for some of us, we actually think that way that, 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 that Christ was like Jesus's last name. For some reason, his middle name was, his middle name started with an H. You know, like that, that's, that, that's not how this worked. Jesus was not born to Joseph and Mary Christ. This is not a last name. This is, these are descriptive words. They're not last names. They're not names that are given before accomplishing anything. These are titles given as recognition of who he, who he was and what he ultimately had done. And while we're on the topic of names, while we're on the topic of names, I hope this doesn't ruin anyone's Christmas. What was Jesus's name? That's a great question. What was Jesus's name? If you're like, ah, I grew up in Sunday school. I know the answer to everything in church is Jesus. Wrong. Kind of. Kind of wrong. Jesus, again, hopefully this doesn't ruin your Christmas. Jesus is the, trans, is the Latin translation from the Greek, Jesus, which is the transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Jehoshua, which sounds an awful lot like our English name. Any guesses? Joshua. Joshua. Yeah, when you go back to the people at the heart of the Christmas story, Joseph and Mary, they are good Hebrew boys and girls. And when God spoke to them, telling them to give a name, the angel actually gave them the name Yeshua which translates best to our English name, Joshua. And the literal interpretation for this name is Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah, our salvation. Jehovah is our salvation. And so we have all, the, the, the good and bad news for you, if you've, if you've you know, thought about this, the good and bad news is we have all been mispronouncing Jesus' name for the last 2,000 years. If you've ever been, been in church and heard the name Jesus, we've all been apparently saying the wrong Name, maybe, maybe, and I, I say this really lightheartedly, maybe that's the reason God hasn't answered some of our prayers. God's sitting up in heaven going, hey, Josh, you know who, who they're praying to? Who's this Jesus character they keep praying? Like, who, who, like what's even going on? Like, who are they praying to? Like, we're not going to answer this prayer. They don't even know who to pray to. Uh, kidding, probably. Um, Jesus and Joshua are actually not really different names. They're the same name across different generations in different translations. But Joshua... This name Joshua certainly carried, Yeshua certainly carried some connotations and some expectations based on an Old Testament Joshua. 
So in verse 18, we're told this. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound insulting to anyone who has a Catholic background or who grew up believing that Mary had, had a bit of divinity to her, but imagine being Joseph and finding out that your fiancé is pregnant and she has a story that makes her sound a little bit insane. Like her story makes it sound like she's a little bit detached from reality. You're thinking, oh my goodness, not only have I now attached my life to this crazy person, but this crazy person is having a child that if I stay with her, everyone is going to think is mine. And if, and if I leave her, I'm the bad guy who left the pregnant girl at the altar. Like, this is an incredibly hard story, but she's, got it. she's pregnant, and she says she's never cheated, and she says there is no earthly father, but God himself is the father. Like, what do I do with this? I mean, this is a difficult moment for Joseph. It says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I just want to talk for a second about, about, about this concept called the, the virgin birth, because this can be a sticking point for a lot of people when it comes to the Christmas story and when it comes to the Christian faith. For a lot of people, the idea of the virgin birth is a tripping point when it comes to faith. And I get that because, let's be honest, this story, it sounds crazy. And if you've ever thought, well, that's kind of crazy. Someone just made that up and put it in there so there'd be a connection to this single Old Testament prophecy. I, I get that thinking. But here's what you might want to understand through, through, through all of this. Including a virgin birth in the story of Jesus's arrival did not make the Christmas story more believable to anybody to the, to the original people who would have written the Christmas story, who would have read the Christmas story, who would have, who would have you know, accepted and tried to believe the Christmas story, this did not, including the idea of a virgin birth, did not make the Christmas story any more believable. The only reason that Matthew and Luke included that Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, was because they believed it to be true. These were men and women, men who had walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They believed Jesus and what Jesus said about himself. They knew Mary, and they believed Mary. They believed this to be true because they knew the people who told them it was true. To push this further, I mean, no one in ancient Israel was actually waiting for a virgin-born Messiah was waiting for a virgin birth Messiah. In fact, because of Jesus, we look to Isaiah 9 and see it as being about the Messiah, about Jesus. But before Jesus came, very few people read that specific verse and connected it to the Messiah's birth. Basically, everyone in that time of Jesus read the prophecies and the promises about a Messiah to come and were assured that the Messiah needed an earthly dad and that dad had to have a connection to the family line of David. The virgin birth was not a prerequisite for the Messiah by anyone in ancient Israel. It didn't add legitimacy to Jesus' claims as the Messiah. On top of that, anyone reading the story in the Greco-Roman world would have read this and thought, oh, well, I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing. They're trying to piggyback off that thing the Greeks did where the Greeks mate with humans to produce super children. And here's the thing that they knew about that. That was all a myth. 
none of it actually happened and none of it was to be taken seriously. And on top of that, good Hebrew boys and girls would have seen this and thought the same thing. What? They're trying to incorporate Greek myth in with our Hebrew Messiah? Come on! It actually made the, the presence of this virgin birth actually made the story less believable. And despite all of that, despite all of that, Matthew and Luke insisted that this was part of the events of Jesus's arrival at Christmas. The only reason to include the virgin birth in the story of Jesus's arrival is because they believed it happened. It was true. Now, here's the difficult part about that. That leaves us with the question, do we believe it or not? but we don't argue with whether or not it's part of the story. This is something that people at the heart of the Christmas story believed to be true. And people who knew Mary, people who knew Jesus, people who knew Joseph, people who had seen and heard all of the family stories believed that this was true. And this actually happened. Now, we pick back up the story in verse 20. It says, But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is fascinating. God, while speaking to Joseph, corroborates Mary's story, lets Joseph know that she is not making this up. And while this seems unbelievable, when an angel is standing in your living room speaking to you about your fiance's miracle baby, you believe what they're saying because what other choice do you have? Like, okay, I guess what, what you're saying about the fiance miracle baby? Okay, I guess that makes, I, I guess that guess that plays out. Okay, I guess we're just going to go with that. See, more seriously though, this confirms an important part of the Christian faith, that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is full of divinity, full of humanity, full of divinity, full of humanity from the beginning. Jesus did not become God at some point along the way. He was from the beginning. And Jesus did not walk among us as some weird ball alien figuring out how to be human. He was human from the start. He was fully God from the beginning and fully man from the beginning. And this is important. Jesus can be the bridge between God and man, not only because he would go to the cross and purchase our forgiveness, he can be the bridge between God and man because he's the only one who has ever stood with one foot in both worlds. He has experienced all of the goodness that heaven has to offer and has experienced everything that earth has to offer. See, Jesus' divinity and humanity make him the literal bridge between heaven and earth. That's good news for you, and that's good news for me. Now, back to the angel speaking to Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Again, the name Yeshua, the name Joshua. You are to give this special godchild the name Yeshua. And, and, and at that mention, mention of that name, Joseph would have perked up because could this really be true? God is finally sending the deliverer that we are all looking for. This is what Joshua, he was, Joshua was the deliverer. He was the one who led the forces of God to take the promised land, to receive what God had promised all along. Could this be true? Is God finally sending 
the, prof, the, the deliverer that we have all been looking for. God is finally sending the second Joshua who will lead a strong force against all those people who have captured us and conquered us and enslaved us and left us reduced to ashes and reduced to something so far beneath what we've been told that we're supposed to be. God is finally sending another Yeshua, another Joshua. And then God says, you'll call him Jesus because he will save his people. And Joseph's going, yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. Finally, we're going to be saved. My boy is going to lead the revolution. I know he's like, not like my boy is God's boy, but I'm going to be the earthly dad. No more Romans, no more Greeks. After hundreds of years of occupation and invasion and invisibility on the, on the world stage and an inability to control our own destiny, we are going to gain our independence because my boy is going to save his people. Hmm. That wasn't the end of the sentence. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. From their sins. And Joseph, who would have been in completely engaged, like, yeah, my boy's going to say, from their what now? From, from, their, from their what now? Like, hey, God, if, if you're going to give us another Joshua, another deliverer, another strong and mighty leader, Maybe he should save us from Rome, save us from the occupation, save us from the taxes, save us from slavery, save us from these like big deal things. See, Angel, clearly you are not familiar with Abraham Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs because his hierarchy of needs, I'm going to put it, put it on the screen. It has at, at the very base, at the very bottom, we got some physiological needs like, you know, the things that are necessary for survival, food, water, shelter. We have all that and we can't even like seem to necessarily always provide all of that and take care of all of that for ourselves. And then we've got safety and none of us have, have felt safety in a long time. Like we've always been attacked and always been invaded and we've felt like we can't walk our streets feeling safe. Um, and, and then there's the, econo the economy. If we can't make and keep money, uh, the, the money that we make, how will we feed ourselves? How, how will we provide for ourselves? There's love and belonging. Like, we haven't felt like we belonged anywhere in, like, a long time. Like, we've been passed around from place to place to place, and we finally got to come back to our place, but it's not really, it doesn't really feel like our place anymore. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, we haven't felt belonging in a long time. There's esteem. Like, yeah, we feel great about ourselves with all the inability to provide and take care of ourselves. Yeah, we feel great. Like, our esteem is at an all-time level. And self-actualization, are you kidding me? Like, we can't get to the top because we can't reach the bottom. We can't take care of the stuff at the bottom. That's our hierarchy. So, like, so, hey, Angel, we have some here and now real legitimate felt needs. Sin isn't even on the list of our felt needs. And on top of that, we already have an elaborate system designed to deal with our sins whenever we feel the need. We have a temple, we have a sacrificial system, and a, and a confession system with a priest. The Old Testament law and sacrificial system already covers every imaginable sin and a few that I don't even want to imagine. What's the deal here? We need saving from Rome. We need a savior with a sword. We don't need to be saved from our sins. We don't need forgiveness from our sins. But amazingly, amazingly, none of that is what Joseph said in response to the angel's message. Amazingly, Joseph didn't respond with any of that. Joseph responded the way you and I would respond to an angel standing in our living room, giving us directions on how to handle an unbelievable, incredible, phenomenal, generational promise that he was asked to participate in. So in verse 24, we're told this, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave the baby the name Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This whole thing sounds odd to some of us. For those of us who are, even for those of us who are, who are Christians or Jesus followers, we read this and we so often can miss the importance of this promise. And the reason we miss the importance is the same reason that we miss the importance of Algebra 2. See, we know Algebra 2 is important, but when you have problems with a boss or problems in your marriage or trouble finding someone to marry or depression or a lack of money or obesity or addiction or your relationship with your parents, Algebra 2 isn't exactly a pressing need. And we hear sin the same way. We agree sin is an issue. We just don't think it's the issue. We agree our sin is an issue, and it should be dealt with at some point. But most of us, many of us, we would say it's not the issue. It's not the issue. And here's the thing. As long as sin isn't the issue, Here's what you will think and hear every time you read a verse like we just read. In verse 121, we will hear, You are to give him the name Jesus because he will forgive the people of their sins. As long as sin is not the issue, we reduce Christmas to forgiveness. We reduce Christmas to forgiveness. And, it's, and here's the thing. Forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is strong medicine. The, the fact that God would forgive our sins is a big deal. But it's possible that your entire experience with God has been about forgiveness, that nobody's perfect, but God forgives. The message of Christmas, the good news of Jesus' arrival is bigger and better than forgiveness. If Jesus and Christmas are only about forgiveness in your mind, you have missed the full message of Christmas. See, what the angel actually said was this. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, God knew that while you don't necessarily feel sin as your greatest need, your sin is your greatest problem. Your sin is your greatest problem because sin doesn't just hurt you. Sin enslaves you. Sin masters you. Sin kills everything that it touches. See, unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes we forget we weren't just born into a world. We were born into a war. We were born into a war. You were born into a war for your soul, for your attention, your affection, for your devotion. And there is an enemy who fights to pull and draw you away from your heavenly father and the good that he has for you by any means necessary. See, here's, the, here's something I want to make sure that we understand. At Christmas, we should remember that we were born into a war. And at Christmas, we need to remember that Jesus was born to win a war. At, at Christmas, we should remember that we were born into a war for our souls, for our attention, for our devotion, for our eternity. We were born into a war. But at Christmas, we must remember that Jesus was born to win that war, was born to win that war that Jesus came to save us from, to deliver us from like a warrior king, to rescue us from slavery to sin, to the nation of sin, to the dominion of sin, the power of sin in you. Jesus came to be a deliverer who would go to battle against the forces of sin to defeat sin once and for all, to win you back and to win your freedom. He came to win the war that you were born into. 
And so here's the question that we all have to ask. Is, is, is that even possible? To live free from sin, to live delivered from sin, to live in a way that actually reflects the reality of Christmas on a daily life? Is it possible to be set free from sin and to be set free from, from good? See, Jesus, I think Jesus seemed to think so. It's why he could say to a woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Meaning, because I have forgiven you, because I've set you free, you actually can be free of sin for the rest of your life. It's why Jesus could say to the Pharisees in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that they could be set free and know the life that they were always meant for from the very beginning, that they could live the life that humanity was meant for from the start, that when God had everything perfect in the Garden of Eden, that's the life that we were all called to live and created to live in. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I've come that you could have that life and that you could have it to the full. It's why Jesus could say to a Samaritan woman whose sin had ruined her reputation, he could say in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks this well water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, this is bigger than forgiveness. This is bigger than forgiveness. And as strong as forgiveness is, this is stronger than forgiveness. This is bigger than being forgiven of your sin and going to heaven when you die. Jesus won the war for you. Jesus won the war for your soul, for your eternity, for your life, and he broke the power of sin so that you never had to be mastered by sin again. That you would never be mastered by sin again. See, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would unpack this idea in his letter to the church in Rome. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. He said, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Speaking to people who had accepted the good news of Jesus, who were trying to live in the good news of Jesus, Paul says, wait, we have a choice in the matter? He says, no, do not let sin reign over you in your mortal body. See, Paul believed, Paul believed that we could choose a victor instead of a master. Paul believed that we could choose a victor, someone who had won the war for us, over someone who had defeated us and mastered us. Paul believed we could choose a victor instead of a master. In verse 13, he goes on to say, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. From death to life. If you are a Christian, this is for you. This is for you. Paul is telling you to live as if what's true about you is actually true about you. You live offering yourself to the one who won your freedom and won your peace and won your joy and won your hope and won your life. He says, Christ brought you from death to life. Live like that's true. Live as if you have no master, but you are following a victor. Someone who laid everything on the line to march into a battle and win a victory for your soul and for your life. And then he finishes up in verse 14 to say, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You want to know what God did for you through Christmas? You want to know what God began for you through Christmas? Christmas won forgiveness for and freedom from sin. Christmas won forgiveness for your sin and won freedom from 
the power of sin. That's what God did for you through Jesus, and that's what God did for me through Jesus. And perhaps, perhaps, it is time for all of us to move beyond forgiveness-only religion. Forgiveness-only religion where we say, well, no one's perfect, but God forgives us. Well, no one does right all the time, but God forgives us. Yeah, we live, and, we, and we're still going to make mistakes, and we're still going to sin, and we're still going to sin, we're still going to sin, but God will forgive us, and we'll all go to heaven when we die because God is a God of forgiveness. Perhaps it's time for us to move beyond forgiveness-only religion. It's the reason Jesus came. They already had a system of forgiveness-only religion. He came to break the power of sin. He lived a life without sin. He offers us his sinless life to those who, who receive it. And if you are a Christian whose faith experience is an endless cycle of trying and failing in forgiveness and trying and failing in forgiveness and trying and failing in forgiveness and trying and failing in forgiveness, what you need to hear today is you may simply need to be reminded that sin is not your master. That sin is not your master. You've lived in this endless cycle of trying and failing because sin has, it, it, we're still living as if, as if sin is our master. Trying and failing and God forgives us. We try and we fail and we forget. At some point, maybe we need to stop the wheel and break the cycle and understand that sin is not your master. And let me be a little bit more specific on this. Sin is not your master. Anger is not your master. Alcohol is not your master. Pornography is not your master. Jealousy and greed are not your masters. Runaway thoughts are not your master. Your past is not your master. Prescription pills are not your master. Online shopping is not your master. Social media is not your master. A political stance is not your master. Sin is not your master. In Christ, you have no master. You have a Savior whose name is Jesus, who came to break the power of sin so that you would never be mastered again. And he desires you to live in the freedom that he went to the cross and won for you. And here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, if you're watching this for some reason, say because someone shared it and it ended up on your timeline, and, and, and you're, you're watching it, and for, for whatever reason, you're, you're scratching an itch at Christmas, you're, 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 you're watching online so that you can tell someone, maybe a parent, that you, that you were in church on Christmas. Like you may not be a Christian, you, and, and you don't call this sin, because, but, but you're living right now mastered by sin. You may think of it, you may not think of it that way. You may, you may call it different terms like, well, I sometimes lack self-control, or I have some self-destructive tendencies. But what's true about you is that right now you are living mastered by sin. And I want to let you know that whenever you get tired of that, whenever you reach the end of that, whenever you have become tired of the endless cycle of self-destructive habits, but it's really sin, of, of, of you know, loss of self-control, lack of self-control, but really it's sin. Whenever you reach the end of that, whenever you get tired of that, I want you to make, I want to make sure that you know sin does not have to be your master one moment longer. Sin does not have to be your master one moment longer. You can be free in a moment because Jesus has already won the victory over your sin. You can place your trust in Jesus and find the new and eternal life promised to us by God. This is how Paul described it. In Romans 6.23, he said, For the wages of sin is death, 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's what's true about some of you. Right now, you may be living that truth out, that the consequences, the payment for sin being your master is death, that sin is currently killing everything it touches in your life. It does not have to be that way one moment longer. You can find freedom in an instant, find new life and eternal life, never-ending life in Jesus. Sin is not your master because Christ came to be your victor. Sin is not your master because Christ came to be your victor. See, Christmas, Christmas is a standing invitation to all of humanity from our Heavenly Father. It's an invitation into that reality. That, that, that at the cross and at, at, with Christmas, Jesus brought forgiveness from sin. And he won freedom from sin. It's an invitation into that reality. The new reality that is possible because of Christmas, because of the cross, and because of the empty tomb. Who needs Christmas? Everyone who needs to be set free and saved from the power of sin, which means you need Christmas and I need Christmas. And because you and I need Christmas, God sent a Savior born into the world, the Savior of the world, born into the world 2,000 years ago at Christmas. Who needs Christmas? I do, you do, we all do. Thank God for Christmas. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, right now we thank you for Christmas. God, thank you that when we, whenever we wake up to the desperate need that we have for, for what you did at Christmas, the desperate places that our, our sin has taken us, our desperate inability to do anything about our sin, God, you have sent a Savior who didn't just come to forgive us from sin and keep us in a cycle of forgiveness and failure and forgiveness and failure and forgiveness and failure. But God, you sent a Savior who came to free us from the power of sin, to break the cycle and begin a new way of life and a new reality entirely. God, thank you that it's possible because of Jesus. Thank you that we can live in his life Thank you that we can live following his example. We can live following his footsteps. And God, we can find ourselves living in the freedom that he won for us and that you sent him to win for us. God, thank you that we can choose a victor instead of a master. Help us to follow the one who won our victory. Help us to, to follow the one who came in, into, into the world and won the war for us. Help us to follow his example. Help us to experience your salvation not just as forgiveness from sin, but in the freedom that you won for us. So God, we love you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the gift of a Savior. We love you, and we put our trust in that Savior. We put our trust in you right now. We love you. We celebrate what you did at Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.